Well, I give my greeting to all of those here in the house today, as well as all those joining us online. This is the Christ Journey House. Amen? Amen. And we invite the Lord's presence over every single one of us as we continue our act of worship in response to what the Lord is doing in our lives. And we pray a special prayer right now for all of our brothers and sisters in Puerto Rico. And I know that some of you are feeling that for your family in Puerto Rico. And so I want to begin with a prayer as that nation prepares for Fiona, whether that remain a tropical storm or possibly grow into a hurricane. We're praying for you, all of those joining us from there. And we want to say a prayer for you now. Lord Jesus, we pray for every home, every man and woman in the path of that storm. And Lord, we pray for your protection. We pray for the church to rise. We pray for... We pray for your people and for that nation, Lord, uh, in the way of this storm and pray for their safety and, uh, and, Lord, for all of those in their path to protect one another, to prepare accordingly, and to help take the right next step in wisdom. And so, Lord, we offer this prayer to you in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. I want to open with this question. What does it take to say the words, I love you? What does it take to say those words? Three simple words. I love you. Easy to speak. English as a second language. Speakers learn those words early in their lessons. Babies learn how to speak those words early in their development. Easy words to speak, but at times can feel nearly impossible to say. Right? Because in those words contain an ingredient that feels really difficult to incorporate into our lives, but can change everything about your life as you incorporate it into it. In fact, the same ingredient is found in the phrases, I forgive you, will you forgive me? I want to learn more, help me understand. In fact, this ingredient is so special that marriages are sustained by it, headhunters seek it, higher performance results from it, and life satisfaction increases because of it. In fact, if someone said to you that one single ingredient could take your life from where it is now to the highest heights, would you want it? What would you do to get it? What would you do for it? You want to know what I'm referring to? Some of you might bristle just hearing this word. It's spelled H-U-M-I-L-I-T-Y. Humility. What nobody wants, but everyone needs. <laughs> right? Oh, man. Even though we all might acknowledge that marital satisfaction, relational growth, workplace productivity, leadership development, learning capacity, and most importantly, our faith relationship with Jesus all increase as humility increases in our lives. For many, the personal pain over time to achieve these desired outcomes doesn't outweigh the benefit. Why? Because humility is hard. It is painful. It's like summiting a tall peak. The views are like no other. When you reach the highest heights, but the pain to get there deters most people from making the climb. Yet when you see it, oh my, when you see someone embody true, authentic humility, doesn't it shine like a beautiful bright light? Opening our eyes, creating warmth. But it also accompanies an authentic expression 
of the very confidence and the very strength that all of us desire, doesn't it? The ones that I know who model authentic, transparent humility embody a deeply rooted strength that far surpasses those who live according to their own pride, according to their own ego. This kind of life and truly this kind of humility is what characterizes our house here at Christ's Journey. The foundation of this house was built upon the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Imagine that. Jesus, the Son of God, is God, but didn't use his identity as God to his own advantage. I mean, just that statement alone, you could spend the rest of your life looking at these few verses in Philippians because of how much they weigh. Rather, he made, Jesus made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Here at Christ Journey, we embrace hard things and we step into the awkward, painful spaces of our lives because we believe in the transformational power that takes place in us when we choose to lower ourselves to grow higher. Humility isn't something that most people desire. It's not something that, quite frankly, I desire most of the time. Humility is hard, it's painful, but it changes everything. Humility changes everything. Forbes magazine published an article in March 2022, just a few months ago, titled Humility, the key leadership attribute behind a healthy workplace culture. The author wrote this, a survey of more than 100 small to medium-sized companies in the computer industry published in the Journal of Management found this, that when a more humble CEO leads a firm, its top management team is more likely to collaborate, share information, jointly make decisions, and possess a shared vision, the result greater success. In the article, the author doesn't define what a more humble CEO looks like per se, but the author does list a few key characteristics of what a humble leader possesses, such as someone who listens, communicates clearly and often, shows frequent appreciation, isn't a know-it-all, acknowledges mistakes and champions others. Would you want to work for a boss like that? The author concludes, I make the case that while it might seem counterintuitive, humble leadership is not a sign of weakness. It is a sign of confidence and strength. This written in a Forbes article. Do you agree? Would you agree with this definition of humility? Would you want to see this in a leader? Absolutely. Who wouldn't want to, not a trick question. Who wouldn't want to see this in a leader? Especially that humility isn't a sign of weakness, but confidence and strength. We'll come back to that in just a few moments. So my question is, why don't more of us seek this? Why don't more of us want it? Why don't more of us want, want to chase after humility? If it literally raises the sea across every aspect of our life and those around us, why would we not pursue this with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength? If it is, if it, if it is as what Forbes calls it, the pathway to greater success, then why don't we hunt this down? Well, perhaps we avoid it. We avoid humility 
because humility threatens our very way of life. And let me unpack that. As much as I agree with this article, I also believe that the depths of pride reach far deeper than simply becoming a better listener or acknowledging your mistakes. The depths of pride go as deep as our sin. And covering it with a few leadership traits doesn't get to the heart of what really needs to change. What really needs to change has been the flow of life since the very beginning, since the original temptation of the evil one in Genesis 3-5, saying you will be like God and you will be like God. Pride isn't merely a synonym for arrogance or selfishness. Pride is the reason for sin. It is the very reason why sin exists in this world and in our lives as individuals. Pride is the act of turning away from God and to the self. The bait of the enemy for you, for me, for every person who has ever lived, is for you to believe that you are a self-contained, autonomous human being, capable of doing life entirely on your own apart from anyone or anything else. To live as the God of your own life means that you determine for yourself what's good, what's evil, what's white, what's wrong. Sound familiar? Whatever belongs to God can belong to you, the enemy whispers. So take it for yourself. Use it for your benefit. Advance your own advantage, whatever the cost might be. And the woman was convinced of this, the author wrote in Genesis 3.6. She saw that the tree was beautiful, and its fruit looked so delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, who was right there with her, by the way. And he ate it too. And this is an important note, just as an aside. Throughout church history for the last couple of millennia, this verse in particular has been used to demean and degrade women. And I want you to know that Adam was right there as an aloof husband every step of the way letting this whole situation take place. It's very important for you to know that. Very important for you to know. Amen. Both Adam and Eve wanted the tree's beauty. It's delicious fruit and the wisdom it would give them. What's so wrong with that? What's so wrong? What could be so wrong about their decision? Everything about this tree seems so right and so good, except for the one single fact that God instructed them not to eat from this tree because if they did, then they would die. This was the true test. This tree represented the test of obedience and our free will to choose to love God. If not for this tree, then where do you find free will? It was their pride that believed that they could do whatever they wanted despite what God desired for them. The temptation of the evil one has always been and will always be that our sin pride will lead us to life. But in fact, our sin pride always results in division, dissatisfaction, and demise every single time whether that be in job loss due to behaviors, relational separation, divorce, addictions, or even just plain old-fashioned discontentment and dissatisfaction, <laughs> right? Grumpiness. We've been made in the image of our maker, but our pride wants to place us as the maker of our own image. That's the shift, and it can feel and seem so subtle. Until we face down our pride, no amount of pithy leadership traits, no amount of religion, 
no amount of church will stop our pride from eventually getting what it wants. It's ironic to think that trying to build up our own lives will inevitably result in losing our own life. But we see the outcomes of this everywhere. The evidence of that truth is everywhere. Especially in our beloved city. It's heartbreaking. Our collective pride as a people is interwoven into the fabric of our culture, lifestyles, our constructs of morality. So it makes sense why humility feels like such a threat, doesn't it? Because as we take a step toward humility, we are literally undoing the normalities of our life, of how we understand our culture, of how we perceive our relationship with other people. Yet, Pride always results in division, dissatisfaction, and demise, and it exists all around us because prides constantly, constantly clash into each other and break lives apart. Constantly. But what if your life, our house, your house, your workplace, where you recreate, what if all of that could be different? What if we could choose togetherness? What if we could choose contentment, satisfaction? What what if we could choose to receive God's blessing all if we decide to lower ourselves to grow higher? It's a risk. It's a total risk. But in our house together, in this house together, we help each other admit our needs and invite Jesus to restore our hearts with the healing balm of his merciful forgiveness wrapped in the humility of his love. In the first century, the hot barrel of pride was Rome. And to the church in Rome, the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, which by the way, is the single chapter that we're focusing on in this series, Our House. We're exploring this whole chapter in chapter 12. So let me encourage you to dig into this chapter. It's one of the great chapters. Romans Romans is one of the great books. Romans chapter 12 is one of the great chapters in this book in the New Testament. And in verse 2, the Apostle Paul wrote this. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Transformation begins right here, in the mind, by changing how we think about ourselves, how we think about others, and ultimately how we think about God. The mind is the battlefield. This is where the war is raging. Changing our self-contained autonomous thoughts changes the war in your mind. So how do we do this? In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, the Apostle Paul gives us a way to think about how to fight this war in our mind. And he wrote this, we destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. To capture, according to Paul, literally means to take prisoner. If the war is in the mind, then the enemy is the evil, prideful thoughts that seek to wage war against you. So don't just sit idle. When these thoughts start permeating your mind. In fact, a, a friend just recently told me that thoughts are, are like planes and we are like air traffic controllers. We don't give permission for every plane to land. Or we don't need to let every plane land, but we give permission for the planes to land, right? So don't sit idly by and just let 
let your thoughts wreak havoc just because they're not maybe doing outward harm or, or shaping your actions or even influencing your behavior. This is the most important real estate right here. Your, if your thoughts are hurting you, actively defend the most important piece of your body and take those evil thoughts prisoner by using the secret weapon that Christ Jesus modeled in his life, ministry, death, resurrection, and ascension. Humility. Humility. To have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Humility. This is the most effective offensive mindset for every Jesus follower. Make no mistake. The enemy is waging war against your mind and the same temptations to pride that won over Adam and Eve, the first humans in humanity ever since. is still taking place right now. The tactic of the enemy is for you to turn away from God by increasing your sense of self. So follow what John the Baptist said about Jesus in John chapter 3, verse 30, saying he must become greater and greater and I must become less and less. Why? Because when we become less, we create more opportunities for Christ's spirit to come alive in us, to fill us, to reveal to us, to help us understand. Don't think better about yourself or worse about yourself. Instead, think honestly about yourself. Honestly about yourself. Be honest with yourself and how God sees you and sees others. When prideful thoughts arise in your mind, don't give them a single second to advance on you. Honesty is one of your best offenses. Keeping an honest perspective on your heart and on who other people are and how God sees them can be one of the factors that changes the war raging in the mind. Be honest about how we all want to be this, the hero of our own story. Right? About how we get caught in comparison traps by not providing what other people need, by not showing empathy for others. Be honest about how we seek our own way and learn how to recognize those tendencies in yourself. Take those thoughts prisoner. They don't need to land on your airstrip. And take them prisoner with your secret weapon and make them obedient to Jesus. Paul continues in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, saying this, Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given to each and every single one of us. Mind your pride, Paul taught. Don't think better. Don't think worse. Think rightly, rightly about yourself. Grow healthy self-awareness, measuring yourself against the bar that Jesus set for you, who showed his love and demonstrated your self-worth by humbly walking this world, showing the way, the ethos of the kingdom, demonstrating his love, going to the cross for each and every single one of you for the forgiveness of your sins so that together we might be reconciled and restored to our Heavenly Father forever and eternity. That's what Jesus did. And as we live our lives according to that standard, to see that same truth and reality become alive in other people, then the Spirit does a new and fresh work and lights a different path than how pride over the course of our society has interwoven itself into every aspect of what we know. Resist the comparison traps. Think rightly about yourself according to Christ Jesus. 
In Colossians chapter 2, one of the great soaring passages that the Apostle Paul wrote, he taught this, don't let anyone capture you. The same word, again, meaning take you prisoner with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense. I'm going to let you fill in the blank (laughs) on what you think that means. That comes from human thinking, same word again as pride, and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. Don't listen to that nonsense. Paul says, don't let yourself be so, be so taken up by that. And then as a result, taken prisoner by the empty, self-contained, prideful thoughts from others and also the ones that live in, in us. Instead, use your wise discernment by measuring everything against the trust that Jesus offered you with his life according to God's word. Test your thoughts against God's word. Christ's spirit in you, in the company of other Christ-filled followers where two or more are gathered in my name, Jesus said, there I am right there. So there's something to be said for the fact that when we come together to open God's word together, even if we don't quite fully understand what's being said or some of the context or some of the history, just opening the God, God's word together with other like-minded, Christ-centered individuals is a significant step to discerning God's spirit, revealing those places in our lives that need to be given over to him as we seek to lower our lives to grow higher. Paul continues, for in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. In Christ lives the fullness of of all power, not us. I oftentimes get that mixed up. (laughs) I don't know about you. Jesus is the wellspring of power, not us. Yet by his power alive in us, his spirit bears the fruits of of his life inside of us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And if you want to access the fullness of God's power and the truly delicious fruits of his spirit alive in you, then you must set yourself aside and choose to abide in his presence. His power makes you complete. His power makes you complete. In another one of Paul's most soaring chapters, in Ephesians chapter 1, he offered a prayer for the church across all time, a prayer for this house, a prayer also, dare I say, for your house. Listen to how Paul described the power and humility in this prayer. Ephesians chapter 1, he wrote this, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of who? The church. Our house. And the church, this house, is his body. This house is made full and complete by who? By Christ, who fills all things everywhere, including you and you and you and your families, your lives, all of us, with himself. 
The lie of pride says that humility makes us less than or weak. But in fact, the exact opposite is true. The same mighty power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in the person who chooses to place their trust in him. The Greek translation of mighty power is one of my favorite phrases in all of Greek literature. It's the phrase dunamis energis, which literally translates to dynamite energy. When you disconnect from yourself to connect with Jesus, who is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come, then you connect into the source of dynamite energy alive in you. Dynamite energy. Humility equals dynamite energy. There's no other place, there's no other way to access that alive in you than to lower yourself to grow higher. So the next time someone says, oh, humility means weakness, you say, no, it doesn't. Humility means dynamite energy, baby. And I got to live it in me. Some of you may remember the great Major League Baseball all-star hitter Julio Franco. Played in the late 90s into the early 2000s, into my college years. Franco is the oldest player ever to hit a grand slam, a pinch hit home run, two home runs in one single game, and to steal two bases in a single game. Amazing. He did all of that at the remarkable age of 47. Let's give it up for Julio Franco. Julio, amazing. <laughs> man, if you live in Miami, check us out, man. We'd love to, love, to, love to get to know you. Toward the end of his career, as you might imagine, a lot of people started looking at Franco a little, a little different in the steroid era, wondering if maybe he was juicing up. And in 2004, retired outfielder Andy Van Slyke publicly accused Franco of using steroids. Here's what Franco said. You tell Andy Vance like he's right. I'm on the best juice there is. I'm juiced up every day. And the name of my juice is Jesus. Let's go, Franco. I'm on his power, his wisdom, his understanding. Next time you talk to Vance Slyke, you tell him I'm juiced up on Jesus of Nazareth. That's straight up what he said. How might we tap into that same juice? If we're going to be juiced up on anything in this life, I want to be juiced up on Jesus, who not only gives me the power to live this life, but gives me the power to live forever. Reconcile to my Heavenly Father. Humility is your secret weapon to access all of this dynamite energy. And the good news of this secret weapon is that it wins every single time. It wins every time. So let's understand what humility isn't for a moment. Humility isn't you being a doormat. That's not what humility means. Humility is not you hiding your thoughts or opinions from others. Humility properly represents your voice by honoring the person on the other side of you. Humility is not codependency. Humility builds healthy boundaries and relationships for yourself and for the person on the other side of you. Humility is not not caring about yourself. Humility is not humiliation. But humility does know when to speak and when not to speak. Humility is not weakness. Humility is power. 
demonstrated through self-control. So let's understand what pride is not. Pride is not strength. In fact, pride is always an indicator of a deeper, unresolved wound that needs the attention of God's healing, merciful hand. Pride is almost always a sign of hurt. And the more that you become familiar with the true definition of pride, then the more you are able to understand when and why pride might arise in you and when and why and how it might be arising in someone else. And that knowledge helps you not take that other person's pride so personally. Pride is not confidence. It looks like confidence, and it certainly camouflages itself as confidence, but truly it reveals a person's insecurity. And so the wise man, the wise woman with eyes to see might think in humility, how might I help this person feel secure in this relationship, in this conversation, so that we can meet together to find a solution to whatever we need to, whatever we need to do. Pride is not self-esteem. Instead, it shows the lack of and a need for a right understanding of the self. Pride is not a value. It's, it's a detractor. It always takes from someone. The only person who values your pride is you. You are the only one who values your pride. Everyone around you, it's taking from them. Do you like when someone takes from you? <laughs> no. Over time, your pride will isolate you from others, especially those closest to you, and it will repel others from coming close to you. And there's no room for pride in our house. No room for it. In our house, we open our doors to let fresh air and fresh spaces for the fresh movement of God's spirit to work in our house. Dark, dingy basements only breed mold, but wide open, fresh spaces invite others to feel safe and seen, known and needed. Everyone deserves a seat at our table, amen? Amen. amen. Jesus made enough room for all of us. No one's left out. At our house, we make space for each other, including those not yet here. At our house, we disagree without dishonoring one another. At our house, we listen to what others say, not just what they are speaking. We don't wait to talk. We listen to understand. We ask questions. We don't make assumptions. You know what happens when we assume, right? We go directly to those who offended us. We practice Matthew 18. We resist gossip and slander with the ferocious tenacity. Nothing will take our house and your home down faster than gossip and slander. It will not be tolerated in our house. And we learn how to say phrases like, I love you. Will you forgive me? I forgive you. Will you help me understand? Help me, help me learn more. This is what a, sh a house shaped by humility looks like. So how do we get there from here? Well, in addition to the Forbes article, which lists some key attributes of a humble leader, I want to propose a few opportunities for us to grow in this area. And the first is find humor in humility. Learn to laugh at yourself. Learn to chuckle at somebody else. And find the humor in the moment. Find good friends to help you discover your blind spots. Would you drive a car in Miami without side mirrors? So why would we live our life like that? Find some trusted friends who can help you identify those places that you can't see. 
and then grow in wisdom and maturity to understand. Find a devotional rhythm of prayer and Bible reading that connects you with God's discerning spirit. Even in those difficult places to understand God's word, what's happened in my life is I've seen the spirit move and show me things that I didn't anticipate. And so perhaps ask the question of God's word, even in those places they don't understand, God, how does this help me understand you? How does this help me understand others? And how does this help me understand better myself? Fourth, let me encourage you to find the value in doing hard things and going through the crucible of humility and encounter life's difficult, unavoidable circumstances and situations. There are things in life that we just can't avoid. And so when we go through those situations, rather than powering up against those situations, deflecting them, finding an excuse for them, we walk through those situations and we do so in such a way that lets God's spirit grow us, grow our resilience, grow our determination. And then finally, and this is the worst one of them all, but find redemption and failure. There are things we can't avoid, and that's the crucible. But there are things that we did that we could have avoided, and that's called failure. And when you encounter failure, rather than powering up against failure or deflecting it to somebody else or just simply making an excuse for it, what if you just sat in it for a little bit? with some trusted friends, with God's word open. And you let the moment wash over you. And instead of saying, oh, well, because of this or because of that, you said, okay, how about I understand what happened, grow in this, so that I don't continue repeating the same patterns. So whatever happened doesn't become systemic in my life. Humility is your secret weapon And in a world drunk with pride, it's also our witness to the power of Jesus alive in us and available to all who seek him. Jesus wants to lose no one in this room and in this world. So let's fill our house, this house, with the same mindset as Christ Jesus and invite others to join him in our home. As we prepare to pray, I want to invite us to do something a little bit different. I want to invite you to stand wherever you might be. And for those joining us online, I want you, I want to invite you to stand as well. And as we close today, with in one voice as one house, physically and online, I want, I want to invite us to speak together with one voice at the same time. Romans chapter 12, verse 3. And invite God's spirit to do a new thing in us today and this week. Let's begin together. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves. Measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Lord Jesus, for every man and woman in this room for every man and woman joining us online. We pray for your blessing, your courage, your strength to walk the difficult line of lowering ourselves to grow higher. Lord Jesus, we thank you for 
the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, who modeled this for us, who demonstrated with his own life what humility means and what it looks like and the power that comes in surrendering and submitting to you. And so, Lord, for every man and woman in this room, I want to, I want to invite us to take that next step of surrender. We trust for your spirit, Lord, to reveal those places in our lives that need to be given to you. And so, Lord, help us with your strength give those places over and discover the freedom that comes with life in you, to discover that dynamite energy, to overcome by your presence alive in us. And Jesus, as one community, as one family, we trust that as we do so, we'll take steps toward building our house in such a way that creates more space for others to find their place in it, to come into a saving knowledge of you. And we also trust that as we take these steps together, that you will help us demonstrate this kind of humility in our own homes, in our workplaces, and where we recreate, and in those places where we live, in that our city, which is so intertwined with pride, Lord, that perhaps because of your spirit alive in us and your witness shining out through us that there might be a different way. And people who move here and come here and live here and, and live in proximity of us might, might encounter a different way of living life that ultimately leads them to salvation. Lord, we pray these things and we offer this prayer to you. And Father, I invite God's blessing over our house. In your name, Lord Jesus, amen.